Welcome to the All Things Protest Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Curran. I'm joined today by my co-host, Rob Sneckenberg, and colleagues, Anuj Vora and Sherry Owen. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that we're asked about perhaps more than any other, key personnel departures and agency notification requirements. Specifically, Rob, Anuj, and Sherry authored a feature comment for the government contractor recently about a quarter federal claims decision that rejects GAO's key personnel notification rule. So we'll cover the decision, the article, and its implications for contractors faced with these issues. Rob, why don't you take us away with an overview? Thanks, Christian. As you noted, we've covered GAO's key personnel rule many times on this podcast. In general, GAO's rule is that where, after proposal submission, a key person becomes unavailable, the offeror has an obligation to notify the agency. And then, the agency has two options. It can either reopen the procurement and allow all offers to revise their proposals, or it can eliminate as unacceptable the offer whose key personnel became unavailable. It's a rather draconian rule that has led to many contractors being eliminated from procurements through no fault of their own. Recently, however, the Court of Federal Claims reached a different conclusion in Golden IT. In that case, the protester alleged, based on public LinkedIn profiles, that one of the awardee's key personnel left the company before award. The protester alleged that either the individual was never available, and thus it was a misrepresentation in the awardee's proposal, or the key personnel was initially available, but then the awardee failed to notify the agency pursuant to GAO's rule. Either way, the protester alleged, the awardee should have been out. The court disagreed. After allowing the awardee to supplement the record with a declaration that the individual was still employed when the proposal was submitted, the court held that there was nothing in the record showing that the individual at issue had left the company before proposal submission, so there was no deliberate misrepresentation. And regarding GAO's key personnel notification rule, the court disagreed that there's any such rule. The court held that such a rule was divorced from precedent and strikes the court, quote, as without legal basis and unfair. The court emphasized that the solicitation didn't require quoters to obtain commitment letters from proposed key personnel. It didn't require offerers to constantly verify the continued availability and willingness to serve of key personnel. And the solicitation didn't require offerers to update the agency if key personnel departed. So the court held that there was no express rule violated and thus no valid basis to sustain the protest. It's a pretty striking rejection of GAO's key personnel notification rule. Thanks, Rob. It's a helpful overview. Sherry, can you explain how the court reached its differing conclusion? Was it how the court approached the issue or the facts or something else? Sure. In Golden IT, Judge Solomson began by questioning the source of authority for the requirement that offerors notify an agency of changes in staffing that occur after the submission of final proposals. Um, The court concluded that it was unable to locate the basis for GAO's rule. The court also emphasized that the solicitation itself did not impose any duty on offerors to update the agency regarding the departure of key personnel. As a result, the court concluded that it would not conjure up a rule, and particularly not one untethered from a statute, regulation, or federal circuit decision requiring offerers or quoters to routinely update the government when facts or circumstances change after the submission of proposals or quotes. 
Now, one thing to keep in mind here is that the court distinguished this case from ones in which there is a material misrepresentation, which the court acknowledged can be the basis for disqualifying a proposal. Thanks, Sherry. That's very interesting. Now, how did you all approach that in the framework of your article? In the article, we trace the evolution of GAO's key personnel rule. And much like Judge Solomson did in his decision, we concluded that GAO's rule is essentially one that is created by GAO and doesn't have a basis in statute or regulation. Yeah, Sherry, you know, that's one thing that the key personnel rule is cited so often. It's just almost taken as a given when GAO applies it or when protesters allege it. But, you know, walking through the cases where GAO has applied it, that's what Judge Solomson looked at. He looked at what are the analogous circumstances where there might be a requirement. And he concluded that there's no statutory, no regulatory obligation, and thus no legitimate basis or no requirement for him to apply uh, such a notification rule in this instance. Thanks, Sherry and Rob. That's, it certainly sounds like a very interesting analysis. Anish, can you level set us on where things stand now between the divergent GAO and court positions? Yeah, absolutely, Christian. Um, at the outset, I think it is important to remember that Golden IT, while you know, from a from those of us who represent clients who are bidding on these contracts, represents a step in the right direction. It is just one decision, and decisions of the Court of Federal Claims are not binding on GAO nor are they binding on other judges of the Court of Federal Claims. So um, this remains an issue that will be litigated. And I wouldn't expect GAO to abandon entirely its approach to key personnel. They might not even abandon it at all. But, you know, hopefully what it means is that we might see a little more nuance in the scrutiny of these issues and a little more scrutiny of the reasonableness of an agency's decision to, say, eliminate an offeror who notified the agency of the loss of its one of its one of its key personnel in a procurement that, say, went on for two years and the proposed person, you know, got sick or died or something like that. That is, as it currently stands, the difficulty of this of this doctrine, which is if the agency decides it doesn't want to give an offeror the opportunity to revise its proposal, GAO essentially has said that's fine. And I think some of that is born out of this assumption that there is an actual rule or requirement that says you have to provide that notification. So, you know, that's that's kind of the ideal immediate outcome, which is there's a little bit more sort of questioning of whether an agency's decision to boot an offer was reasonable. So that's kind of what we would hope to see at GAO. You know, there there are other considerations. I mean, now with Golden IT, there is an opportunity for offerors who are eliminated based upon GAO's application of the, the key personnel rule to file a, refer, a reverse protest at the Court of Federal Claims and see if they have better luck there challenging the reasonableness of an agency's decision with the knowledge that at least one judge on the court likely agrees with that position or at the very least will look more closely at, at that reasonableness question again. So, you know, there's how it's going to play out at GAO. What can you do at the Court of Federal Claims? The third sort of consideration remains 
what should offerors do with respect to kind of being aware of the availability of their key personnel following the submission of proposals? I mean, one of sort of the the illogical outcomes of GAO's rule as it currently stands is it does incentivize offerors to avoid having actual knowledge of the availability of their key personnel once they've submitted their proposals. I mean, frankly, I think that's still how offerors should approach these, which is not to say avoid at all costs finding anything out about the availability of your folks after you've submitted your proposal, but you don't have to constantly be sort of chasing them down to confirm their availability because once you are on notice, the GAO rule is still the GAO rule, right? And so you will have, or you may have some sort of obligation to provide notice of that unavailability. So it remains a difficult question. Golden is a helpful decision that sort of cuts the other way, but you as a potential bidder or an offeror should continue to approach these questions carefully, seek out the guidance of outside counsel as necessary, and plan accordingly. And obviously, that's that's what we're all here for. Regarding seeking the guidance of outside counsel, you know, for those of you looking for more info on this topic, Obviously, we have podcasts uh, devoted to it, and the article goes into a lot more depth onto the incentives uh, that offers are currently facing and some of the potential implications. So Anusheri and I tried to cover the highlights here, but for a more in-depth reading, definitely commend that to your attention. And should you have any questions at any time, please don't hesitate to reach out. We're always here to help. Certainly interesting developments, and we look forward to seeing how this area of the law continually evolves. That's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com.